0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. I'm excited to get into the Word. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning and, uh, and share a number of things that I believe are important for every believer, uh, not just uh, uh, for those that are, are present here in the room, but if we receive the word that we're going to be celebrating today, it'll have an impact on those uh, in the community around us. And that's really how the word of God's meant to be, no matter what your topic is. But I think this topic specifically uh, has a tremendous impact when it is active and effective in our lives. I, I want to give you a few, a few things that we're going to find in the scripture here. I like doing this just to stay engaged and and kind of have them as, uh, you know, markers as we go through the word here, Uh, things to anticipate, things to uh, look forward to and points that are really uh, worth uh, uh, taking note of and applying to our life. Uh, One, we're going to find how we're supposed to be like God, how we're supposed to be like God. Now, I mean, I want you to think about this for a second so that it doesn't uh, simply just sound cliche. God's chosen to identify himself as our father and, and to identify us as his children. That's how he's chosen to do it. He, he could have chosen any number of relationships. I mean, he could have chosen uh, uh, master and servant. He, he could have chosen anything along those lines, but his choice was father and child. That's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, you could sit and just begin to ponder and meditate on that, and and let wonderful revelations stir in your heart and in your mind as to what that means and what that indicates. I mean, it says a lot about his love and his affection for you, his value for you. It says a lot about who you are, that truly you are made in his image and after his likeness, as the Word declares from the very beginning. And and there is a specific way, and obviously there are more than one way, but there more than one uh, uh, way to do this. But there is a specific way we'll see in the Scripture how we're supposed to look like our heavenly father. Another thing we're going to find is the foundation of our identity. The foundation of our identity. I'm not sure how to word this, but I'll just throw it out there how it would feel natural to me. And I'll do it in the form of a question. Now, this isn't a question that's meant to be answered publicly, but just, just think about it. Have you ever struggled with your identity as a believer? So I don't mind showing my clay feet and saying, absolutely. In fact, there are, are seasons where it, it happens in, in tremendous volume. And whether those are seasons of tremendous stress or, or maybe uh, some spiritual attack or, or uh, something that God is, is purging or bringing into my life, a, a time of maturity that uh, things are being revealed and it, it introduces a challenge to the present, but brings a, a wonderful uh, and powerful result for the future. There are times where our identity comes into to question, and I think it's important to see what the foundation of our identity is in order to make sure that that foundation remains solid. I mean, if the foundation is affected, if the foundation is destroyed according to the Scripture, then what can anyone do? The Word says if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If this building which was built on this foundation, had the foundation ripped out from under it, the building would not stand. And even if it did stand temporarily, it would not take much outside influence to go ahead and just finish it off. So foundation is very important. Our identity has a foundation in the scripture, and it's important for us to know what that is so that we can tend to it properly. And then a third thing that we're going to find is the key to receiving what we need from God. I don't say that in the form of some blank check of of, uh, a doctrine of, of... uh, claiming things and those uh, in that perspective, and, and those are that's are, are, a whole nother concept and a whole nother message, but there's something specific that we need, desperately need from God, and He's willing to give, and there is a pathway to receive what He's so freely and willing to give in Jesus. Uh, so I want to get right into the word here. I told you we're going to find how we're supposed to look like God. I, I want to give you a passage of scripture for your notes. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke chapter six. I want to look specifically at verse 36. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Uh, Jesus is speaking here and he's giving a a list of of wonderful revelations that that are are life-changing, each one. This is just one of many that he's giving. But when you come to verse 36, you'll see Jesus speaking these words, revealing to us how we're supposed to be like our Heavenly Father. He says this, he says, Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Be merciful just as God is merciful. What a wonderful way to be like God. I mean, when we find this out, you have to just stop here and, and identify this is a really powerful instruction. I mean, first of all, the idea that, that it's even possible is, is enough to make a person pause and, and scratch their head. I mean, the idea that I could be like God in this way is, is something that is going to require the work of God in and through my life. One, I'll need to see his example. How can I be like him if I don't know how he is? Uh, I'll have to be equipped with all that he has in order to do the same thing that he does. When you consider this call here, this statement, it opens up the door for our awareness to to be magnified of what all God's done on our behalf through Jesus. I mean, God is a wonderful, loving, heavenly Father, and Jesus is a righteous and faithful high priest and king. He would not set us up to fail by giving us an instruction that we were not equipped to carry out. So when he gives this instruction, when he offers this call to us to be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful, first of all, I have to tell myself, I can do that. If I couldn't do that, God would not require it of me. So that means the can box is checked off. Now the question is, will you do that? And we deal with this in our vocabulary, I mean, in in, in raising children, even in my own uh, marriage, there are times I'll be challenged in my vocabulary. My wife will po- point out you know, the words that I use or I'll point out the words that our children use or something like that. There's a lot of things that are worth paying attention to. I mean, when you come to the, the conclusion that this is a possible, uh, possibility, this is possible to carry out, that you can do it, the question is then, will you? Will you be merciful just like God's merciful? Then you have to let your wheels turn and ask yourself this question, how is God merciful? If I can be merciful just like He's merciful, what does that mean? How is He merciful toward me in my life? Uh, We'll we'll find out as we go through the Scripture here. I want to give you a a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, One, I want to see from uh, the book of Romans. The book of Romans uh, 11.32 is a powerful passage of Scripture that reveals what is needed and what's necessary in every person's life. Romans 11.32 says that God has shut up all in disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. Everyone needs mercy. Me, you, the person next to you, your neighbor, the people you work with, everyone needs mercy. So as we see that this is something that everyone needs, as we see that it's something that we're called to produce in the same way that God produces it, I'm left asking myself, well, how do I do that? What does it look like? I want to give you a passage of scripture from the Psalms here that I think helps illustrate what God's mercy looks like. Uh, Psalm 145 verse 8. Psalm 145 verse 8, speaking of, of God's mercy, it says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. I love the Psalms because of how the passages of Scripture are broken down. I mean, it's 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 music, it's poetry. Uh, they're they're very easy to read. Uh, on occasion, I have to remind myself to to snap out of the the poetic mentality and look at what's actually being said from the point of instructions being given. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Well, how is he gracious and how is he merciful? Well, he's slow to anger and he produces kindness. If I were to ask myself, how can I be merciful to people around me in the same way that God is merciful toward me, those are the two things I need to do. Those are the boxes that I need to check off. One, I need to be slow to get angry. And two, I need to be quick to be kind. Do you feel a wave of conviction moving across the room here? I know I do. I mean, it's, it can be difficult to be slow, to be angry. I mean, there are things that irritate. There are things that provoke. There are things that, that, that cause us to, to react in a very uh, selfish or self-preserving kind of way. And then uh, when you're feeling those things, when, when all of the emotions are stirred, Kindness is not always the default. In fact, for most people, myself at the front of this line, kindness is not the default at all. The default would be some uh, attempt at self-preservation through either what would be a passive-aggressive attempt to, to take control of the situation or what would simply be an aggressive attempt to take control of the situation. But God's calling us to function in the same way that he does. And when he is merciful, it involves being slow to anger and being ready to be kind. I want to give you a passage of scripture on why this is important for us, not only to have in our lives, but to have operating through our lives. We already read that everyone needs mercy, that everyone around us needs it. And we're going to find out why from this passage, the book of James chapter 2, verse 13. It reads like this, James 2.13, judgment will be merciless on the one who has shown no mercy. Now, here's the point that I want to hit home. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When I consider all of the failures and all of the flaws and all of the faults that I have produced through my words, my actions, my attitudes, I realize how much I need God's mercy. I mean, it's, it's the same uh, uh, effort that is in my life that, that is in the life of any person to bring salvation in. It takes the blood of Jesus, which is the ultimate manifestation of God's mercy and grace. The Bible refers to that as propitiation or Jesus taking your place in this instance on the cross. As we move through the scripture here, we're going to find that, that God's mercy is, has got a, a driving force behind it. And when I find that mercy is coming up short in my life, when I find that I'm not slow to anger, when I find that that I'm not quick to be kind, when I find that that mercy is absent in my, my actions or my attitudes or my words, I can either try to just create or fabricate mercy or I can bring the element that produces mercy into my life. And I've done it both ways. And I can tell you when you try to make yourself be merciful for the sake of producing mercy... It doesn't work. It's temporary. It produces what I refer to as the roller coaster, where you'll hit sometimes, you'll miss others. You'll hit sometimes, you'll miss others. And when you have a roller coaster, what you have is inconsistency. And inconsistency is very difficult to build anything on. It's difficult to build a a relationship on. It's, It's difficult to build a business on. It's difficult to build you name it, and it's difficult to build it on. So as we pursue this consistency in our life, we need to have the source of of mercy, what produces mercy. I want to offer you a scripture, and I offer this with tremendous conviction. I mean, honestly, there's a part of me that wishes something was different than this because it brings a lot of conviction in my life where I see mercy challenged. But you'll find the passage of scripture here in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. I want to give this uh, uh, passage here. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. Now, I I know I read through that pretty fast. You might even still be turning there. We're going to read it again. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Uh, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together in Christ. It's a passage of scripture that you could read through and and miss maybe what's going on if you don't take your time to evaluate what's being spoken here. I mean, when you're looking at at God being rich in mercy, we're aware that that's that's who he is. As we read earlier, the Lord is gracious and merciful, meaning slow to anger and, and quick to be kind. Here we find out, the, the driving force behind that, the why behind that, the cause, so to speak, for the mercy to exist in the first place. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us. That's revealing where this mercy comes from, why this mercy exists. It's because of the love that he has for us. When I'm seeing an absence of mercy in and through my life, I can sit and try to fabricate mercy all I want, and that will lead to the roller coaster. What I need to do is I need to open up the door for love to prevail so that mercy will be produced. Mercy is the result of love. Based on this passage of scripture, God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us is revealing that his great love for us is the cause for the mercy that we're so richly blessed to have bestowed upon us. As I begin to to pursue God's mercy in and through my life to be manifest in my words and my actions toward those around me, it's not a matter of pursuing mercy his mercy simply manifest in and through me. Rather, I want to pursue his love, that which causes that mercy to be manifest in and through me. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to look at verses 3 through 6. It reads like this, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a resurrection from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which will not pass away. I mean, what we're seeing here is something that is incredible. You're seeing that it's God's mercy that creates this uh, new life. It'll show us the importance of mercy, not just to receive God's mercy and be born again, but I want to consider this. I have the call on my life to be merciful in the same way in which God is merciful, which means I have the call on my life to introduce the mercy that can bring about resurrection from the dead. That can take any problem, no matter how serious, no matter how dire, no matter how destructive, uh, no matter how ancient it may be, we can introduce the element that can bring about life in that situation. And the element that we're equipped to introduce is mercy. Mercy is the, the reason why we can celebrate new birth. If you take away God's great mercy, you don't have that which causes us to be born again. You don't have that new living hope. Which means if I am to rob mercy from anything, if I'm to rob mercy from my marriage, if I'm to rob mercy from my children, if I'm to rob mercy uh, from my work, if I'm to rob mercy from any aspect of my life, I am taking away that which can cause life. Mercy is a priority. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. I mentioned before we're going to find out the foundation of our identity. And I think it's important at this point to establish that because our identity as, as the people of God is absolutely vital to our, our success and fellowship with one another and our fulfilling of our call to reach the community around us. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. We're looking for our foundation as the people of God, our identity as the people of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it reads like this, For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, do you see the difference between having no identity and having identity as the children of God? The difference is the presence of Mercy. And consider this, consider it being more than than the children of God, but simply being of God. And you can apply it then to any aspect of of your life, any situation, any circumstance. I want my marriage to be of God. I want my family to be of God. I, I want everything that I would put my hand to to be of God or identified as belonging to or coming from or through him. It's going to be The presence of mercy that identifies it as such. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1 is talking about the days that we live in and and what will set us apart from the the days that we live in as as different than those around us in the world. Jude chapter 1 at verses 18 and 22, you're going to find these words, in the last time, There will be. Now, I want you to listen to this list and ask yourself do these things exist today? In the last time, there will be mockers that will follow after their own ungodly lust. There will be those that cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the Spirit. I mean, I see that in the days that we live in. I don't know that I've ever felt more division in a community than I've felt over these past couple of years. Now, I'm not throwing rocks at one side or the other. In fact, there's not one side that would be the kingdom of God in this case. I mean, Jesus will put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. He will rule and reign, and it's then that we'll know unity. But this is fulfilling of the times, it's revealing of the times, excuse me, that that in these last days, you'll see those that mock, you'll see those that scoff, you'll see those that follow after their own ungodly lust, you'll see those that intentionally are causing divisions, worldly minded and void of the spirit, meaning not being led by the spirit of God. And then you see these words, but you, now those are powerful words. I mean, like if I'm reading this in my Bible, I probably circle, but you. It's like, this is the turning point. Now, the rest of this is meant to be applied to my life to identify who I am. But you, beloved, building yourself up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting and anticipating for his mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And then it goes on to say this, and have mercy on those who are doubting. It's our call as the church. Now, I'm offering this to you because it's meant to stir a mentality that prioritizes mercy. I mean, I I don't really wake up in the morning and and decide I'm going to anticipate God's mercy today. It's kind of become an automatic thing, a part of Christianity. Uh, I'm distracted by my schedule and, and by the things that I need to accomplish today and by the things that I'm dealing with, the problems here and the problems there. But this passage of Scripture is revealing that us as believers stand out from the rest of the world because we are anticipating God's mercy. I, I love that. I mean, it stirs something in me. I mean, if, if I've had the opportunity to, to simply show you the excitement that that puts in me, it would save a lot of words, and I'm sure you'd be grateful for that. But I want you to think about anticipating something. I mean, what does even the word anticipation mean to you? I mean, you're, you're looking forward to it. You, you, you're believing it's going to come to pass. I mean, anticipation in and of itself is a manifestation of faith. I mean, there's a trust and a belief that something is going to happen and it's being uh, uh, foreseen and waited for. And, and our lives are meant to be identified as different from the rest of the world, who are not being led by the Spirit, who are causing division, who are following after their own ungodly lust, and their lives are, are filled with mockery and, and those divisions as we spoke earlier. Our lives are separated because we are anticipating God's mercy. Anticipating God's mercy. I mean, think for a moment on what that would look like to anticipate God's mercy in any situation. And and it's not meant to make for an awkward moment. It's really intentional to let your, your thoughts stir. If you were faced with a challenge, and in that challenge, you were anticipating God's mercy, what would it mean? It would mean a number of things. It would mean that you're trusting in God's presence. You're trusting in his involvement. You're trusting in his bringing to pass the things that he promises to bring to pass. It would mean that you're leaning on the authority of Jesus Christ that's been bestowed upon your life as a believer. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit that's been freely poured out in and through your life for God's glory. It would mean being aware and committed to all the things that we know as Christians to be true. That's a pretty awesome place to be when you're dealing with trouble or or problems or challenges. And then it also produces something in me that would then have hope. Or or to even bring it down to to a more uh, casual word, just being positive. And when I consider anticipating God's mercy, I consider the fact that I'm actually considering that there is a solution for this situation. The idea that there is a solution that is doable, that's real, that, that's, that's not only just potential, but that's promised, breaks the yoke of desperation and hopelessness and positions us to be empowered with a faith-filled life. It makes me want to awaken every morning and, and decide willfully to anticipate God's mercy. Father, I want to anticipate your mercy today. I want to anticipate your mercy in this situation. I want to anticipate your mercy in that situation. I want to anticipate your mercy in every aspect of my life today. When I'm faced with the things that provoke me to anger, I want to be slow to anger and I want to to anticipate your mercy and I want to bring your mercy into that situation for the purpose of bringing hope. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here as we close because I think it's important to see that this isn't just something that is read between the lines, but rather this has been the point of the Scripture from the very beginning. Now, oftentimes when you turn to passages of Scripture that involve this, this part of history, our, our mentality and our thoughts are affected greatly by Hollywood, by what we've seen in the movies. I mean, if I were to mention the Ark of the Covenant... You would probably create a mental picture in your head that would come from an Indiana Jones movie or, or something along those lines. And, and that's not a, a necessarily a, a bad thing. But when you consider the history of the Ark of the Covenant, its purpose in the Scripture for the people of God, its presence in, in the things that it represents and, in, and brings into our awareness as a type and a shadow of what we have in Jesus, it's a really powerful thing. So God gives instruction to create the Ark of the Covenant. And when he gives instructions, he makes these statements found in Exodus 25. Now, these are are split up from different passages of Scripture from the book of Exodus 25, uh, from the chapter Exodus 25. But I want to read some of them to you. And you'll make a mercy seat of pure gold. That word mercy seat is, is also identified as a propitiatory seat. There's that word again, or it's a derivative of that word, propitiation. That place where, where your place is taken by another. That's Jesus. Jesus took our place on the cross. This was intentional to create on top of that Ark of the Covenant, that place that was identified as the seat of mercy. And then it, the instructions continue as to why this seat of mercy should be placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. You, you'll put... On the mercy seat, you'll put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And on the ark, you will put the testimony which I've given you. And there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony. That is where I will speak to you about all that I will give you in the commandment. I mean, it's just interesting to see here that God is identifying the place in which he speaks to us from that place of mercy. And when you consider, as is stated there, what's in the Ark of the Covenant, it it even becomes uh, more deep and and there's more revelation involved. I mean, inside the Ark of the Covenant, you would find a few things. You'd find the broken tablets that Moses smashed. You know, and oftentimes we would consider that to be the law. I consider it to be the Word of God. I mean, God's instruction and his counsel present in that Ark. You would have found a a jar of, of the manna. Now, when you consider this, you got to consider something really supernatural is taking place here, because when manna was collected, it went bad overnight. It didn't stay good, except for one jar. One jar kept in this, the bread of life, so to speak, representing Jesus himself, kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. The other element that you would have inside the Ark of the Covenant was the, the rod of Aaron, the, the branch, the, the almond branch that budded, that signified the, the authority of the priesthood That God had bestowed upon him. That's the priesthood that you and I walk in today as Christians. When through Jesus we're made a kingdom of priests. So you have the word of God. You have the authority of Jesus Christ in the priesthood. You have the the bread of life that that is is sustained and everlasting. Even though everything else suffered decay. Everything that, that makes up our Christianity. Stuffed inside this box. And on top of that box is the place of mercy where God will meet us. And there's such a need for that mercy in order to meet God. There's a, a desired effect for us to draw near to him there. And, and I want to give you a passage of scripture from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's a call for you and for me to fellowship with God at that place. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, to that seat of mercy that's given as an example in the Ark of the Covenant. Therefore, let us draw with confidence, draw near to that seat of grace, the throne of grace, so that, now here comes the reason why we draw near to God at this place in the first place, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I'm sure if you're like me at all, there are plenty of times that you could identify as a time of need. I need wisdom, I need direction, I need counsel, I need help, uh, I need uh, some sort of provision in this situation in order to see success. I have a long list of times that I would identify as times of need. In order to find mercy, in order to find grace in my time of need, I'm called, based on this passage of Scripture, to draw near to God with tremendous confidence that he will meet that need at the place of mercy. I mean, this passage of Scripture is, is meant to have an, an impact and an influence on our attitude and our thoughts. It should have an impact in, in, in my life, on my prayer life, how I approach things, that when I'm seeking these things from God, that I'm seeking them all through his mercy, his kindness toward me. I'll give you a, a passage of Scripture here as we close. I'd mentioned to you that we were going to find out the the key to receiving what we desperately need from God. What we desperately need in any situation or any circumstance is mercy. It's mercy that brings about success. It's mercy that opens up the door for the goodness of God and the power of God to be celebrated and fully embraced. So how do we see God's mercy magnified in our life? We approach him at that seat of mercy in order to obtain mercy. And then also consider this from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. How we receive what we desperately need from God. That which we desperately need is mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 makes this promise to us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I mean, there have been plenty of times in my life where I've been so fixated on what I needed. That I didn't look at what those around me needed. And in the kingdom of God, it's amazing to see the things that God would call us to in faith. It's easy for us to adopt a mentality that you cannot give what you do not have. And what we see here in the scripture is that God is calling us to give mercy in order that mercy might be magnified in and through our lives the more that I want to see God's mercy active in in every part of my life, I need to examine where can I release mercy. It's an interesting thing to pray. I don't have any problem taking all of my needs to God and asking God for mercy. Father, I need your mercy in my marriage. I need your mercy in my family. I need your mercy in my business. I need your mercy to be magnified. It's a whole different thing to pray. Father, open my eyes to see where I need to give mercy. Open my eyes to see where mercy can be released in my words and in my actions. Let me be a merciful man to all of those around me. And I think it's there where we find ourselves obtaining what God would reveal to us as his heart as it concerns mercy. Not a life in which we're seeking God's mercy in and for ourselves, but a life in which we're seeking God for direction and how to release his mercy through our words, our attitudes, our actions to those around us. And it's in that that we'll find that satisfaction that we so desperately long for. I wanna ask you to stand with me this morning as we pray. That final point is the, the point that I want to pray for, for myself, for you, for us as a congregation. Not just to have an, an increased awareness of the importance of God's mercy or, or an awareness of its presence in the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, but to have a, a, a desired change in our mentality should one be needed. To move from one who simply longs for God's mercy to be present in their life to be one who longs for God's mercy to be present through their life. I trust and believe that if if Jesus will stand and say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, then my prayer life doesn't need to be centered around seeking God's mercy in my life. Rather, my prayer life needs to be centered around releasing God's mercy through my life and trusting that he will take care of me. That's what I want to pray. Because I believe that as the people of God function and operate in the way in which we've been instructed and called to, we get really wonderful and heavenly results. As you stand with me this morning, you're welcome to be in the the attitude of agreement or receiving, however you choose. But I want to pray for us this morning to have an awareness released in and through our lives, that we would uh, be anticipating God's mercy, not just to us, but through us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your counsel and your direction in our lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the wonders of your mercy In the, the richness and the depth of your word to reveal who you are in the, in the wonderful gifts that you've bestowed upon us, all because you love us. And let your love be magnified in our, our hearts and in our minds that we would continue to see your mercy poured out upon us but let there be a a desire in each of us not to seek the gift of your mercy but to see your mercy flow through our lives onto those around us let us anticipate your mercy in our, our prayers and in our our attitudes and our mentalities and our plans let there be a longing for us to seek you as to how we can see your mercy flow through our lives onto those around us. And let the result of your word that those who are merciful shall receive mercy magnify your mercy in and to us. But as we seek after your grace, as we seek after your goodness, as we seek after your mercy, let it not be to to be hoarded for our own gain. But let it be to be bestowed on those around us. That there would be a longing in our lives to be the catalyst for your mercy in every circumstance that we may face, in every situation that we may find ourselves in. Let those who are around us find your mercy through our words and our actions, through who we are, that we might be just like you. Let us be slow to anger. Let us be quick to be kind. And let it bring you honor and glory as we begin to be merciful just as you are merciful. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.